You're listening to the Entrepreneur's Agony Aunt podcast. Keeping it real, telling the story like it is, because there are no mistakes that somebody else hasn't already made. Hello, I'm Vicky Brock, and you're listening to the Entrepreneur Agony Aunt podcast. Joining me this week is Rachel Buse. After seven years' experience in content and digital marketing, Rachel founded Alacas, a for-good company that creates tailored capsule clothing parcels for women who have fled abusive relationships using repurposed retail stock. Having tried to build a startup alongside her other job for over a year and doing a great multi-prize winning job of it, a Royal Society of Edinburgh Enterprise Fellowship means that she can now work on building her business full-time. So Rachel, welcome to the start of the next phase of your startup life and to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Vicky. Oh, you're very welcome. So I've got two very different questions for you this week, um, but though both very appropriate for you. The first is the dreaded social media question that I've had in various forms over the weeks. And the one I've picked is, I have built an organic food brand it's doing very well and growing beyond my kitchen table into a real business that I am making capital investments into. But how do I grow my social media reach? I think I'm doing all the right things, but my following is only inching up very slowly and I have yet to achieve any of this fabled viral effect. It is very, very time consuming for what seems like little results. What should I be doing? The second, also social, but very different, I want my business to be for good, not simply for profit. I want the benefits to go back into my community, not simply to investors. But despite having a good idea and some traction, it is turning out to be so much harder than I expected and harder than a previous for-profit startup that I did. Not just raising money, but even getting the legal structure right. Do you have any tips for early stage social entrepreneurs to make this all a bit less soul destroying so good questions (laughs) bring any bells yes on both counts very much so so before we dive in perhaps you could tell us a bit about your journey so far as an entrepreneur and perhaps shed a little bit more light on both Alacas and why both these questions have made it to your episode absolutely so like you mentioned before I am seven um, years into a digital and content marketing career and in that time I've worked in-house in all sorts of places from high-end jewelers Um, I've worked in agency and I've also worked freelance almost all of that time entirely because I think I caught the entrepreneurial bug quite early on and have been always very keen to forge my own path and be working on my own projects throughout my work. Definitely my, my marketing skills have been absolutely crucial to building the Alicast brand. It was through an entirely different life experience that I came up with the idea for Alicast, having had a very close friend of mine flee an abusive relationship um, with nothing but the clothes on her back um, and her three kids in tow and see how important it was for her having a good coat and pair of shoes in her ability to rebuild her life. And then when I experienced a similar thing myself, discovered that just how many women Um, thousands and thousands of women rely on poor quality ill-fitting clothing donations with which to rebuild their lives Um, all too often handed over to them in bin bags which does absolutely nothing to help women retain their sense of identity and confidence or self-worth and so that's when I really decided that 
you know, we should be doing better. There's so much more that could be being done. And when I discovered how much retail textile waste we have, as you certainly were absolutely crucial in, in, in highlighting my awareness to, it became all too obvious that we have two enormous problems here and hopefully uh, what should be a relatively simple solution. So that's certainly what I've been working on for the past 14, 16 months, um, like you say, in addition to my my freelance marketing work. What has led me here um, today? So taking part of the second question first, what is it that the person that's asking that question referring to? What is the unusual toughness, perhaps, that comes with trying to do a social enterprise or a social good or a for good business that is different, perhaps, to a straightforward, dare I say, for-profit startup? Yeah, absolutely. It's quite interesting because this question reflects very closely on one of the biggest issues that I have faced so far, which is finding the right legal structure. Certainly, I find have found in our entrepreneurial ecosystem, there's a very definite split still to date in between for-profit business, so traditional limited companies, PLCs, etc., versus social enterprise or charity, so kicks or uh, or a charity legal structure. If, you know, it took me about twelve months, I think, to research, speak to as many people as I could, people who had founded both types of companies, people who invested in both types of companies, to understand where the benefits were in each and where the issues lied in each. Um, for Alicast, the right decision came down to what was our ambition. And I think that really is a guiding light in choosing the correct legal structure when you are creating a business with a social purpose. So for us, our main ambition is to scale. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were had been kind of advised by many different people, um, including funding bodies, that in order to scale, the legal structure that would give us the most room to grow would be a limited company. Mm-hmm. And there certainly is a growing area of business around for profit for good, um, you know, ventures that have a, so- a social purpose, even though they're operating for profit. And I'm increasingly seeing aware- awareness around this in the marketing industry as well. And businesses choosing to behave in a more ethical and responsible way. And I think that as time moves on, it is something that will pick up. And I think the gap between for profit for good or social enterprise and for-profit business will become increasingly smaller as businesses seek to do better in the world. I think that's a really important point because I think that as you approach this, I mean, I remember speaking to you probably nearly a year ago now um, when we Mm. first met, but I've seen other people going through this same process very similar to the person asking the question. When you kind of start, you have very clear social goals. And so it seems obvious that you would set that up as a charity or a social enterprise or a community project. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it it is a business and that business will only be sustainable and only be able to do its social good if it can function like any other kind of startup and business and actually have a market, have a product and be sustainable. So that coming round to the idea of being a limited company that has a social purpose and is going to do something good with its profits when it makes them seems to yep. be quite a good way of working that takes away some of the headaches. 
Absolutely, I couldn't agree more. And having spoken to people who have set up community interest companies and then found themselves absolutely strangled by red tape and inability, you know, to make simple decisions or to grow the business in the way that they that they want to, or their social ambitions become even larger. But because of the legal structure of the company, it's very difficult to expand and grow and and maximize social impact. Um, I couldn't agree more with you. I think it's so true to create a business that doesn't solely rely on endless grant funding um it's very important to consider looking at a for-profit model um legal structure and I think for us certainly that seems to have been the right decision so far and as you go into that I mean do you go into it with a plan like a business plan which is we're going to make x amount of profit in this time and then we're going to to do these things with that profit I mean how, how have you approached thinking about it and perhaps how would you advise other people to think about making sure they bake the for good part in yeah. to their mix without kind of backing themselves into a corner where they, they, they limit all of their options. 100%. I think it also links back to this part of the question, um, how to make this whole process a bit less soul destroying. And I think the key part at the heart, like you say, of baking in the social good and making the process less soul destroying is to constantly have the person or cause that you are helping at the forefront of your mind um for me that is the vision of having that parcel that we create um handing over to a woman who who needs it and that is our social impact and so that has guided you know the kind of revenue that we're going to generate it all comes from what is the cost of us basically fulfilling that social cause what money do we need to be able to make to make that sustainable where is that revenue going to come from and then kind of reverse engineer it from that point I guess that's certainly how we've we've approached it and I think by having our social impact and the person that we're trying to help at the forefront of our minds this entire time that is the the one thing I would say that makes it all far less soul destroying is you know that you're going to be having social impact it's just a case of figuring out all of these nuts and bolts to get there it must have been at points the only thing that's kept you kept you going because I mean from a funding perspective you things have been really challenging you've got this big mission you're just desperate to get on people want to be involved but there's all these cash resources funding logistics constraints yeah and i know i saw you a few weeks ago where i just kind of wanted to give you jelly and ice cream wrap you up in a duvet and promise you it was all going to be okay um and now it seems like actually some important corners have been turned and how has all of that been for you as an entrepreneur actually i mean i think it's i just keep telling myself like you say yes for me that vision of the women that we are helping in the front of my mind or sometimes I even visualize I'm a big fan of visualization sometimes I even visualize um the billion women around the world who experience domestic abuse standing behind me and it's almost as if that is the thing that that pulls you through and having that social impact is the thing that pulls you through um and yeah the process I think for me has been probably similar to how it's how it is for any entrepreneur where you have like you say these massive resource struggles in the early days when you know your greatest resources are time and money and in a startup um enterprise both of those things are extremely limited unless you're very fortunate so um those 
have certainly been massive hurdles to overcome and it's taken a solid 14, 16 months to get to a point where I can actually look at, you know, and will be working on Alicast full time, which is just revolutionary. Um, but certainly having that social cause has helped keep my head above water and help keep my focus on my game. Um, although, you know, it's not easy. I don't think it's easy for anybody. We've had some small but are presumably significant prizes and wins along yeah. the way, which perhaps are a different way way of funding it compared to the obvious is where you sort of like start prepping for a seed round or like early friends and families as soon as possible you've taken a different path is that 100% out of necessity or was actually there a deliberate choice in that as well quite a deliberate choice in that I think part of the and this is also again where it's unusual being a social venture as opposed to a social enterprise or for profit for good as opposed to for profit you find that there are different pots of money available to you that maybe there wouldn't be if you didn't have that social aim even though you are a for-profit business so for Alleycast that has enabled us to tap into different awards and different funds that had we been a for-profit business you probably wouldn't have been able to to achieve some of them certainly not and some of them it maybe would have been a slightly odder proposition that we maybe would have made it less likely and so again, in terms of like deciding legal structure, that's another consideration to put in place is although we're not eligible for some of the bigger social enterprise or, or charity kind of grant funding, it kind of leaves us in an interesting position whereby we can tap into some social grants, but we'll eventually be going for investment ourselves as well. So I think in some ways, it, I hope will give us the best of, of both worlds. And it's interesting because I mean, I've, I've seen a couple at least one I've worked with, where there's that their baked in social purpose is actually not helping them get mm. this. They've got a perfectly decent commercially viable product. They have got some traction. They've got a decent market opportunity. But because, and, it, and it's absolutely their choice and I completely respect it, mm-hmm. because they have a core commitment that most of their profit is going to go to social causes that they care very much about. Mm. The angel investors or the early stage investors who would normally look at funding that business and who can actually see a perfectly good business case in it aren't going to see the level of return on investment that they require from Mm. any investment they make Mm. because there's this commitment of a large proportion of that profit going out as opposed to flowing to the investors. Now, I understand that that is the point and, and that's the yeah. choice and that's the choice that the person asking this question is saying but mm-hmm. it's probably worth flagging up I guess that of course choose this path and understand that you are closing future funding options that might be available to to other startups therefore you need to have planned for that but are you aware of anything that comes through further stage that almost fills that gap i think when it comes to us raising larger sums of money our first next port of call will probably be to run a crowdfunding campaign purely because we have you know our own sustainably produced merchandise which acts as a nice trade-off and we have obviously a very strong social cause and have met and received an incredible amount of 
positive feedback and interest in what we're doing. So the plan would be to really take people on this social journey with us and include them in a way that would enable us to to raise more funds. I think that would probably be our next step. In terms of, like you say, angel investment and seed rounds, etc., I think you know, it's certainly something that we could well come up against and fully accept that that may be a challenge. But like I say, and maybe I'm just being over ambitious, but I really hope that in the business community, you know, we're seeing a shift, even uh, Social Investment Scotland, I think, says they recently launched a fund that is specifically for um, this type of business where you're not a charity, you're not a kick, but you are a for-profit for good social venture there are new funds coming into the marketplace available for the specific type of business and from the conversations that I'm having the more awareness of and acceptance of these type of businesses I'm seeing so I hope that in time hopefully in the not too distant future there will be more in the marketplace available for businesses um like Alicast. This then links to kind of the first question about Mm. the social media engagement I mean one of the things that I have been thrilled by but also like find it astounding is that each time when I've worked with you and I've done any kind of through LinkedIn or whatever, that people are just extraordinarily enthusiastic and keen to help you yeah. and help this in any possible way that they can because they relate to your cause and they relate to what you're trying to do mm-hmm. and that must actually be quite a powerful, I, mean, I can tell you in, in, in enterprise b2b software (laughs) you don't kind of have that same thing going on Um, so it must be like a really valuable thing for businesses to understand the power of that and actually to properly leverage I mean have you got any advice on that definitely um I think like you say we are fortunate in that we have this really strong social cause that captures people's hearts and their minds and drives um, a lot of support which is amazing although every brand I'm trying to think if I've forgotten any every brand or campaign I've worked on to date that hasn't been Alicast um, has been like you say b2b b2c product or service for profit no social angle really and what I find you know is the best approach and this is maybe not groundbreaking but it is that you know you need to tell a story so you need to really be focusing on the benefits of your product or service versus the just features of it so whether you've got you know a tech solution that is saving people time or it's keeping them safe online or anything like that you know that is the the benefit that you're selling and it's how you do that in an engaging way on the first question um, the person had said that they were struggling to get a lot of traction and um, very time consuming for very little results. This is something that I hear time and again from many different businesses. And in the time that I've been doing social media marketing, which is, you know, like the past seven-ish years, both, you know, Facebook, um, Instagram, Twitter, all the algorithms have changed in a way that, you know, prioritises quality content invariably makes it harder for your posts to be seen organically as they push towards paid solutions and there are some tips and tricks I have for helping your organic reach but in my experience if you really want to make a go of social media marketing you need to be very aware of what your goals are and Mm -hmm. where you're pushing people to on your website you know in in a converting way that you can track and 
promoting that that goal with paid advertising on social media. And it's interesting because the person asking that first question sort of said, oh, my followers are only inching up really slowly and I'm not getting this big reach. Mm-hmm. Are they thinking about it the right way? I mean, is quantity over quality the point? Or actually, on the whole, are you trying to achieve something very different to say broadcast media when investing your time in this effort I couldn't agree more I think you're absolutely spot on and this is certainly the shift that I have seen um you know maybe go back to seven or eight years ago and it was all about your follower count and that was the thing that was really important and that was at a time when it was pretty easy to drive your follower base because it wasn't so crowded the algorithms were different it was easier for your content to be seen um and like i say there's been this big push towards paid however now like you say having quality engaged audience is far better than having a massive unengaged audience I've actually been researching, writing quite a lot recently on the concept of slow content marketing, whereby it's turning the concept of constantly fueling the content machine on its head. If we post, you know, if businesses are struggling to post two, three, four, five times a day on three different social platforms, all you're really doing is fueling the noise. Why not post less frequently things that are, you know, really worthwhile saying? focus your attention on those and and don't participate in this race to the bottom which essentially is what a lot of the social media platforms have, are turning into so it's really about changing the approach and um, making sure the content that you're sharing is of, of high quality and is worth engaging with does that include focusing down on just a couple of channels or is it important that you're telling the same story in a lot of different places but in an appropriate way I mean consistency of your story is absolutely paramount so whatever campaigns or whatever content you're pushing out on multiple channels not just on social but also on email your website etc it needs to be um, visually consistent also from a copy perspective your messaging needs to be consistent and in terms of platforms that you choose there are definitely some that will be more relevant to your business than others for this specific business in question they'd mentioned they're an organic food brand I would be instagramming that all over the place I mean organic food is you know not only are you really tapping into the conscious consumer market probably millennial generation who's really conscious about nutrition um you also you know you're you've got you have a food brand everybody loves food images online so that's the kind of content I would see working really well on Instagram if you've got good photography I think you know choose platforms that are relevant to your brand so this one like I say a really highly visual platform would work well if you're more b2b then twitter might work well I recently ran a really successful twitter ad campaign with a b2b client of mine it was the first twitter ad campaign I'd run but I was blown away by how successful it was LinkedIn again if you're more b2b focused that might be a better place for you to be I don't think there's any need to be on every single platform especially if you've got a limited resource Um, particularly for startups you know you don't have a lot of time to be plowing into lots of different platforms so pick the ones that make the most sense for your audience there's no point in speaking on a platform where your audience isn't likely to be it's interesting that what you're saying about the role of paid social media now because it was kind of almost I know know, how (laughs) we're not even talking that many years ago yeah (laughs) but it, it was 
even you know at the beginning of my last business, you kind of looked at social media was hey this great free thing, and okay you had to put some time into it, but it was a blessing to a startup because it was like this entire free channel. And as long as you kind of learned the ropes and you put effort into it and you did all the tweeting and you did all this stuff, then, you know, you would build a brand quite quickly for free. Mm. Um, It sounds like that's all changed. And and so what do you kind of actually need to think about? I mean, as a startup, as an early stage company in terms of where you're assigning human resources, perhaps third party help, perhaps budget, I guess all these things need planning. Definitely. Absolutely. I The chances of getting any kind of organic traction on social media nowadays is so difficult and so slim. The only platform that I really see performing well in an organic capacity is Instagram. And that is largely through the use of appropriate hashtags. Um, there's this app that I would recommend. It's called Focal Mark. And it's the best thing that I've come across for Instagram. And I absolutely shout it from the rooftops. Um, basically, it's a hashtag generator, depending on the type of visual that you are sharing. And I have seen engagement with posts and followers just increase exponentially with the use of that app so in terms of that that is my one main trick for getting good organic visibility in Instagram um beyond that I have say for the podcast until maybe six weeks ago Mm. LinkedIn by far and away generated I reckon 50 percent of my Mm -hmm. first when I release an episode the first week traffic is completely different to then subsequent Mm. Because we see subsequent traffic, you have subscribers or you have people picking up the series later or they dip in and out of an episode that they've heard of or they're interested in. Whereas the first week traffic tends to be people who are waiting for a new episode to come through or they're they're kind of like probably aware of me, they're aware of the brand, they're aware of the podcast. And until about six weeks ago, LinkedIn, it was literally the first thing I did Bam, that was 50% of the week's traffic taken care of. And I would just keep that topped up with tweets and a few things. But I have no idea what's just happened to LinkedIn because right now I think it's like Facebook that's doing the best. <laughs> like right. Facebook never does anything, no. which is not a reflection on the greatness of Facebook. It's a reflection that LinkedIn's just fallen off a cliff and I need sure. to fix that. I think it's interesting, you know, changes like that happen and social platforms, algorithms change all the time. So it can be, you can really notice a knock-on impact of how your campaigns are running on in different places. Um, I mentioned Instagram, I think works really well for a B2C. Like you say, for more of a B2B um, offering, LinkedIn can work really Really well in my experience paid campaigns on LinkedIn can be extremely expensive for really very little in return um, in comparison Twitter I found has been extremely cost effective in terms of um, running B2B campaigns and has driven absolutely incredible amounts of traffic to a site and to goal conversions so that would be probably my best recommendation from a b2b perspective would be consider twitter ads but i think the key thing with all of it is like i say consistency not posting for the sake of posting and having a really good idea of what your message is and what content you're putting out and and maybe lining that up in some kind of content calendar or a campaign plan and given that how important this is particularly you know to certain kind of consumer brands or brands full yeah. stop but you know where you are literally having to earn every sale and and build visibility and you're you're you know you're doing this type of consumer growth how important is it that 
if you don't, as a founder, have a handle on this, that you get somebody in to help you? And how early would you recommend doing that? I think, yeah, certainly, you know, it's not going to be everybody's background or everybody's cup of tea um, doing either websites, social media, email marketing, etc. This is what I constantly say to clients and businesses I've worked with is that you're an expert in what you do. That doesn't mean that you need to be an expert in marketing as well. In terms of how important it is and how early to consider these things I think that in my entrepreneurial experience of taking getting Alicast off the ground one of the first the absolute first things that people do is go to your website or search for you on social media if you're not present it kind of limits their understanding of what you do what you stand for how to get in contact with you you know if you're going for investment etc I think it's just really important to make sure you're on um, the right people's radars and social media is a huge part of that not just your business's profiles but also yours as a founder CEO. That's so true and I think that if you have a historic jokey personal social presence and you're about to found a company it's kind of almost better to reinvent yourself as the founder CEO character that you want to become and live that and recreate it from scratch than to try to dilute away this this weird brand because I think it's the thing that I, I found that sometimes perhaps some of my older staff older advisors older investors struggle to understand because I think they thought I, I was messing or uh, you know a ridiculous amount of time on social and on PR and all of this kind of thing and why didn't I just get on with running the company but I think your brand as a founder and your brand as a CEO it kind of is the company in so many ways I mean that's why it was such a struggle for me personally when I I, I left my last company because to try to unpick yourself unpick these brands is so so difficult but it is something that founders I think really do need to think about totally I constantly say that you know perception is reality and it's however you whatever brand or persona you have out there is how people are interpreting you and just as you would say to anybody going for a job you know don't have random poorly you know um poorly profiling pictures on your um social media if you're going for a job it's arguably even more important if not equally as important when you're trying to found a company and really get in front of the right people's eyes i know we'd mentioned about support for that if it's not really your skill set there's i mean as a starting point if it's something you want to do yourself there's so much free material online i would youtube like beginners tutorials or find blog posts I have my own blog series um hosted through a client of mine on exactly things like this getting yourself set up and started and where to really begin when it comes to digital and content marketing but if it's something that invariably you know you don't have the time for which is so common when people are starting up businesses there are loads of people who you know just like me perhaps are studying journalism PR digital marketing at university looking for freelance experience and it's something that 100% could freelance out in depending on what you want to do in a half a day or a day a week. It doesn't need to be a huge commitment. And I would say is definitely something worth considering. As a older founder <laughs> myself, <laughs> one of the things I would caution other older founders is that to just assume that just because somebody's young, that they naturally um, know everything about social media and should be put in charge of your 
businesses, your startups, social media. It's it's a skill thing. It's really interesting that you talk about find you know a freelance marketing journalism <laughs> person because it's a skill job just like any other. You you can't just awesome. kind of like grab some random teenager off the street no. and think that they're going to mysteriously be able to do a much better job of social media no. than, than you are likewise you no. can't just ignore it because it's not something that you don't use yourself totally um i mean that is so true i think if you are going down the outsourcing route the key thing the absolute key things you have to have in place are things like your brand's tone of voice so in including you know a glossary of words that you do or don't use from things like how you spell your company name how you pronounce your company name if there's a certain term that you never use but you always use this term instead things like your color palette what are the colors of your brand keeping those consistent what is your typeface what style of visuals do you use and I would absolutely never take on somebody to do social unless I'd seen that the quality of their social profiles was really good um, or seen some examples of previous brands or companies that they'd worked on you know to make sure that the quality is there you know like you say it's a skilled job from cropping visual assets to make sure they fit each social platform correctly to making sure that you're within character limits and you know representing the band in the best light it's certainly not something you want to give control over lightly um so definitely putting some thought into that beforehand is absolutely crucial there are tools that can help you be a little bit more efficient even you know you're not in the position to bring somebody in yet or outsource it there are tools i mean i know kind of like i don't think i could live without canva or buffer now (laughs) like you know just for the management of even just this podcast which is in the end my hobby not my job but um, you know the sheer time that being able to let me do a little button that is the right shape for twitter or let me just resize that for linkedin let me resize that for instagram stuff like that are there any other tools that people might not be aware of that you would recommend Well, two of my absolute favourites, like you say, are Buffer and Canva. So Buffer is a fantastic social media scheduling tool. Um, If you're not scheduling your social media, then certainly starting doing that will help minimise the time that you're spending on it and help you be much more strategic about what you're posting and when. Canva, like you say, is a really user-friendly and has free functionality graphic design tool, helps you resize your social media assets so that your visuals are to the correct pixel dimensions of each social media platform, which is really important. Um, Other sites that I use that are important are things like Unsplash. I use for really good quality stock images. It's not like the stock images of the 90s um, that are really posed and like really fake, but this is kind of really cool stock photography that is, you know, it's copyright free and it's um, free to use extensively. There's also ones like Pexels and Stock Snap.io that I recommend Giphy for GIFs as well, if that's relevant to your audience. Excellent. So I'm very mindful of your time, knowing that you have um, a world to conquer and all of these kind of things. Before we wrap up, I'd love to know what's next. You're starting your Royal Society Fellowship, so you're going to be full-time on Alacast. What kind of does the next few months look like? Have you any idea? (laughs) I hope so, (laughs) certainly in my head, if not on paper. On the 23rd of July, I will be starting my 
fellowship with the Royal Society of Edinburgh, which is really exciting. Commences with about a week's worth of training, so I'm sure I'll be thrown straight in at the deep end. Thereafter, through the summer, going to be running a tags on clothing drive. So our hashtag is tags to 10k. We are trying to get as many donations as possible but at least 10,000 donations of clothing that still have the tags on oh fantastic I've got a whole wardrobe full of clothes with tags on and I know plenty (laughs) of other people do is do you know yet how people can um get you those things because I'm sure there's lots of listeners who would like to uh, help Absolutely. So we have very kindly been donated some space at the top of Leith Walk in Edinburgh until the end of the year to be able to run our pilot. And this is what our tags on clothing drive is for um, to package up our initial 300 parcels. So if anybody does have any clothing donations, the best thing you can do is head over to alleycast.co.uk. We'll be putting more information up there shortly um, on the easiest way to make um, donations. But until then, the best thing is to get in touch with us directly. And depending on where you are located, we can um, either arrange for a collection, pick up or a delivery of yourself um, or some kind of courier service. So the best thing um, depends on your location. So just get in touch. Fantastic. And I will add that link on when it's available into the podcast describer. Thank you so much for your time. A pleasure as always, Rachel. You've been listening to Vicky Brock and Rachel Buse, this week's Entrepreneur Agony Aunts. You can subscribe on iTunes, YouTube, Spotify, and of course, submit your question at vickybrock.com slash podcast. Mm-hmm.